The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and Charlotte FC is on the carousel to buy a new head coach. And you might think, do you purchase a head coach? How, how do you purchase a head coach? Do you go down to the head coach store, down to the shop, if you were, and you pick out the new 2023 model head coach? Well, we talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago on the Crowncast of how we would go about picking out a head coach, and Charlotte FC listened. They heard our our thoughts, our ideas, our desires, and they said, well, we're probably not going to get a good manager who could have failed at a bad club, uh, so instead we'll get a bad manager who failed at a bad club. And here to talk with me about that is Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Yep, hello. We're talking about um, where you shop for a, for a head coach. It seems like we're shopping at the same place where a lot of MLS teams shop for a new head coach, which is the... Um, the almanac of great 2000s Premier League players. And, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that more in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think I, everyone knows what I'm referring to. <laughs> I do I do want to hype you up, Ewan, because I'm really glad you are on the, the coaching pods. One, because we seem to be looking at the European market pretty heavily. And you yourself are English, which is vaguely considered to be European. I have to ask you. <laughs> How, what, like, what percentage of European do you feel like you are? I mean, this is all related to Brexit, isn't it? <laughs> this is all related <laughs> to that, which I was legally able to vote in by two weeks. It happened two weeks after my 18th birthday. And um, yeah, to say how European I feel, based off how everyone else seems to feel about it, based off that vote, probably zero, because it seems like <laughs> we've rejected them. And as a result, they've rejected us. So I, I think to describe Frank Lampard as European would be almost giving him too much credit and probably the same for Dean Smith, the guys that we'll get into later. So yeah, I, I almost feel like I've been giving myself too much credit and too much pizzazz to describe myself as European rather than uh, what I am, which is English. So I, I won't give myself that kind of credit. <laughs> One thing we learn is that in the socio-political structure of the world, the English don't want to be European and the Europeans yeah. <laughs> don't want the English. I was going to say, let's <laughs> end that there before we start getting too controversial. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, uh, dear listeners, welcome back. Thank you so much for spending your time with us as ever. Uh, we are going to be talking about some of the coach opportunities that there will be for Charlotte FC coming up today. Uh, we will be talking talking Frank Lampard, which is a uh, Chelsea man who once coached a Chelsea football club and now might be coaching the uh, much better blue. I think it's fair to say since Charlotte FC did beat Chelsea, I think we have established dominance as the best blue team. Uh, let's not think about Man City or any of the other blue teams in the MLS. We could also be talking a little bit about Dean Smith, a gentleman who also coached in the Premier League and could also be looking to sit upon the empty throne, and a man named Freddy Juarez. After that, we'll be doing uh, buy, sell, hold for the midfielders. And Ewan, which one do you want to do first? Do you want to do buy, sell, hold for the midfielders and keep them waiting for the juicy bit at the end, or do you want to get right into the meat? I think I think you made my mind up right there. Keep the juice to the end. Keep the... Uh... Yeah, keep them waiting for it. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll do the buy sell hold. I think, I think even still, that's uh, that, that that's interesting stuff because um, midfield wise, I do think that's an area where there is some some interesting 
difference of opinion. But at the same time, yeah, we'll we'll go we'll go through that. We'll give our opinions, and then we'll talk about what people seems to be the main thought at the moment, which is who the head coach is going to be. Yeah, you you know you say there's going to be some different thoughts. I might be the one accused of being a little bit too on one boat here, but <laughs> we will see. You have proclaimed it, and therefore anyone who wants to get directly into the coaching talk, uh, you can skip ahead about twenty minutes, or you can hang out with us. Until we get there, you and uh, again, I'm just going to go down the roster list on Charlotte FC's website. Obviously, Breck Diagada is not on there yet, but we are going to be doing him today. I think that we're going to start with Scott Arfield. Ewan, remember, a buy is you want to give this guy a new contract. You want to sign him up. He's a part of the deal. A hold is you like him. Maybe you don't like him. You're not sure you need to see more. And a sell is... Even if you like the person, even if you think they are a good player, you feel like Charlotte FC needs to move on from that player. You you think you can do this with me? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if, um, yeah, I'm happy. Happy. Um, obviously, we make notes before this, looking for the players and and the midfield. I do feel like this is the area where I have the most clarity on the players that we have at the moment as to where I see them fitting from a next two, next three years perspective. So happy to get into it. That is good news. Let's go ahead and do uh, Scotty. Scott Arfield came in not that long ago. Obviously, a senior player has come off the bench to some great effect, put some goals in the back of the net. What do you think about Scott Arfield? Yeah, Scott Arfield, interesting one. You, you laid out the um, the criteria there of, of, would you give this guy a new contract? Would you kind of hold on it? Or, or, or do you think there's someone that we should be moving on from? Scott Arfield fits into an interesting area because he was obviously a summer acquisition. We've only just signed him. He's only just signed his contract. But I'm I'm almost happy to to jump the gun a little bit with this and and go for an outright buy with Scott Arfield. And this relates almost in a similar way relating to another summer acquisition of Jerry Erinin, of this being more about what he has put on film before he got here versus what he's done since he's been here. Not an indictment of what he's done since he's been here, but it's been a lot of, it's, it was an evolving role. It was, it was a, a situation of trying to find where he would fit best in the team. He was playing as the furthest forward midfielder. He was playing as the middle midfielder of the three, a connector at times. He was playing in a substitutes role. And ultimately I, I'm happy to bank on what he can give us for these next two years based off mainly the out-of-possession stuff because Christian Latanzio Latanzio was someone who was very, very much emphasised the out-of-possession stuff and it it was something that some people liked, it was something which some people didn't like. But that style of football, I think, if Charlotte are going to be successful, has to stay in some sort of merit. I think out-of-possession football is an emphasis of success in all credited leagues. And Scott Arfield is someone that any head coach who is kind of worth their weight, worth their weight in salt and will be able to take Charlotte to a successful place, I think he's someone that they will like because he brings that out-of-possession tenacity. The second part I would say on this is to why it's a buy. I think in possession, the value that he brings in, in terms of just in in terms of not only output, but also I think just, and we'll get on with this with other players as well. 
I think working well in tight areas is something which really matters in MLS. And I've noticed this more over the last couple of years than I have in generally watching MLS over the last extended period of five years. I think space is harder to come by. And I think players who are good in space, midfielders who are good in, 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 in tight areas, are, are so much more worthwhile. And Scott Arfield is very good at that. So I think if you combine those two things, I'm happy, even though he's not exceptional at both, I think he performs at such a high level at both. I'm happy to make this bet that he is someone who will be a productive, high-level MLS player for at least the next two years. So that's why he would be a buy for me. Not a home run buy, but just someone who I just think creeps right just by that line. This is someone who I look at what they're able to do, I project their past performance, look at their age, see what they players of that age generally have in the tank for the next two years. And I say, yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident to make that, you know, give you that nudge, make that bet on you to be a productive player for the next couple of seasons. So, yeah, Scott Arfield for me is a buy. That's a really interesting one. For me, Scott Arfield is also a buy. And I did not think that we would both be buying Scott Arfield. I thought that I was going to be like way off the deep end and the listeners and yourself were going to be telling me why I was crazy. My reasoning for Scott Arfield being a buy is that Scott Arfield seems like the guy. And I don't mean that as in he seems like the head of the team or anything. He just seems like the guy. He seems like the guy that you want to be on the pitch with. He seems like the guy who wins football matches. He seems like the guy who, you said earlier, he understands space. And I really appreciate that about him. He understands space. He knows where the space is opening when other people open space for him. And so he's an impact off of the bench player in a way that I don't think you're going to get very often in any league, much less in the MLS. He's not a young man. I believe he's 35. Ewan, is that right? Um, Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So he's not a young man. What he is right now is somebody who I think has the respect of the other players. I've had the honor of meeting him alongside Ashley Westwood. And I've talked about before on this podcast, I think Ashley Westwood is one of those guys who just kind of gets along with people. He's just very capable of socially and professionally maintaining relationships and and being a leader. And I think Scott Arfield is in that same category of people. He's just a good guy who's there. And on top of being a good human and a good person and a good part of the dressing room, to my knowledge... He also appears to be a very effective weapon for Charlotte FC, who could be here for two or three more years, being a very effective weapon, teaching younger players how to fill in that space. I wouldn't mind seeing that at all. Uh, Ewan, do you feel like there's anything I've missed? Uh, No, no. Like you say, uh, yeah, 35 years old, almost his his age fits perfectly into the the MLS schedule because he's, um, he's only just turned 35. Uh, last month, I believe. So he will be 35 throughout next season and then will be 36 throughout the season after that. So yeah, he's he's of that age where in a midfielder, you bank on the professionalism, which you mentioned his personality. You absolutely yep. understand that he has. And, and you think that that level is going to maintain. That floor will be high throughout this period. And yeah, I think... Um, I think everything you say there is spot on. I um I think he's a standard bearer. I think he's a leader. I, I think even in that Rangers team, 
that he's come from. You you do. I mean, I we we talk a lot of tactics. We talk a lot about just you know the on field stuff and and the bare bones of it. But that stuff matters, the leadership stuff. And, and you deep dive the interviews of other players and everything like that. And, and they'll talk about him being a, a real standard bearer, like I say, and and someone who, you know, drives the, you know, the leadership teams in, in those sort of scenarios and those setups. So, yeah, I, I, I'm happy. To, I'm happy to bank on all of this for him yeah. and give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's move on, because I think we have one that's going to be kind of uh, controversial. And then a lot of the others, I think, are kind of just going to be rapid fire. Let's do Brant Bronico. And I'm going to go first on Brant Bronico. So I, I can take the heat for this one. I think Brant Bronico is a sell. I love Brant Bronico. I love Brant Bronico as a human being. I love Brant Bronico's work rate. I love his effort. I love who he is in the team. But there are some players in football who just don't fit. They just don't fit the system they're in. They just don't fit the team around them. There is something about them where you can say, I want this guy to win. I want this guy to succeed so much. But something is not clicking. And there is something in Brant Bronico in Charlotte FC that is not clicking. And it might change with a new coach. We might get the best out of him. I don't think anyone out there thinks Brant Bronico doesn't work his butt off. I think this guy is... I think his mentality and his effort and his grind set are world-class, and I'm honored to have talked to him. I'm honored to have watched him play. But he's also the type of personality that takes over a whole team. If he's in your midfield, he's the guy. And as a result, I'm really worried that if we want to succeed, he either has to learn how to play a more supportive role in the team, or he needs to go to a place where his talents and his effort click better and allow him to play first fiddle you and hit me (laughs) (laughs) yeah you mentioned there that you know you'll take the heat for it and it's because he's a fan favorite there's no getting away from it he's someone that the fans appreciate a lot not just because it's a local thing but he has a play style that i think you know the average fan appreciates the intensity uh the fact that you know he's a he's a very willing presser. The fact that he's a combative uh, tackler, he's he's very willing in duels. Everything like that is the stuff that fits into things that that fans like a lot. But I'll be with you on this. I, I think he he is a sell, and I was someone who was you know very very big on 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 Brandt in the twenty twenty two season. I think the difference from what we got from him in 2022 versus 2023 is partially tactical because we changed away from playing with that single pivot in midfield to going to a a setup that was a double pivot, whether that be the two midfielders in there or with a fullback inverting to with a six alongside them. But also, I I I don't know if this is something that happened with him with it with a you know, technically dropping off or or if he just mentality, his mentality changed from that tactical switch. But it just felt like you got someone who was a little bit more frantic in build-up in the 2023 season versus the 2022 season. And I think that comes from the fact that he was dealing, and a lot of this midfield conversation is going to be about how players deal with space. I think mm-hmm. Bronico is a player who, in possession... Deep needs to be playing in quite a lot of space. 
And then you bring that forward to when he's playing in more advanced midfield areas, you see why. Because when he's playing in tighter areas of space, you see that, you know, his touch is just a yard too long. His thought process is just a second too off. It, it, it's all a bit, you know, a, a day late and a dollar short with him in certain areas. And you can get away with that as a single pivot in possession when you're respected as a team that plays wingers high, as Miguel Angel Miro did for a lot of that season, and you're pushing things up the field. The reality is that's a very specific style of play that he thrived in. Could I bank on him to play as well in that role now? I think I would. Is it likely that that style of play is going to happen for us with any of the coaches that we choose or any scenario that comes in the future? It's not. So of the realistic outcomes for what position, what role he will be playing, do I think he's someone who can be a starter, be a a main contributor for a team that is really competing at the top? I don't. I don't think that. I still think there's a lot of great qualities to him. I still think he's a very, like I say, a, a very good presser of the football. So, but he's so not someone I'm going to get overly excited for. You and when when we first started this podcast, we said we were going to adhere to a couple of general truths, and one of them, and this is one of the hardest things, because we're Charlotte FC fans. I mean, we're we're analysts. We study this game, but we're we're fans. One of them that we said we would have, we would all struggle with, is you have to be able to kill your darlings. You have to be able to look at your favorite player on the team, which Brant Bronico is up there, and say, I don't think this team fits Brant Bronico, and I don't think Brant Bronico fits this team. And ultimately, you have to be able to say it might be time to try something new. This is this is the first really hard example for me of you have to be able to kill your darlings, and. I'm worried about this guy we're going to talk about next might be another one, but I don't think he's quite there yet. So let's go ahead to Ben Bender. And I struggle with Ben Bender because I see a talent in him that I think is, is better than the MLS level, but I have not seen him be able to apply that talent in any form of regular function, any regular play. He's one of those guys who you see suddenly become lightning on the field and suddenly he finds that pass that nobody else sees. He finds that open ball. He understands space really, really well. I think his footballing IQ is through the roof. A lot of good stuff about Ben Bender. I am worried about his, his mental strength in the game and how he goes out and puts his game into the world. I think as long as he's playing a position where he's supposed to be kind of just the gear that turns things over, we're never going to see Ben Bender be a winner. I think we have to see Ben Bender evolve from that position of being a gear in the team to being a guy, being the creative guy, being the guy who who they look at to say, you're going to determine how we move through space. And I'm not confident Ben Bender has that ability in his mentality yet. So... Knowing everything I know about him, knowing you know where he's come from, how he's come into this team right now, Ben Bender for me is a hold. But I think Ben Bender is a hold that really needs to show he's taken some real steps as a person, as a as a player in their own mind, more than a technical skill quality or a physical problem. I think I want to see Ben Bender come out and, and bring his level every time. 
not bring his level one out of every four times and amaze us in that one time. Ewan, I've got Bender on a hold. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, when it comes to Ben Bender, I'm thinking almost back to when we did the uh, did the buy sell hold for defenders, and almost thinking of creating a tier which you can call the Jalen Lindsay zone, or you can call the Ben Bender zone, because I see them in, in almost a similar way in that because of their age and because of their experience, I'm a hold, but very much creeping over to the sell side. You know, almost that those young players that you're happy to hold on for now, but you, you if push comes to shove, you know which way you're falling further onto. And with Ben Bender, the reason for that is that I think about the roles which he has played for the team. I think about the role that he's played. He's played as a, w- a wide player, He's played as the furthest forward midfielder and he's played as the connective midfielder in a midfield three. There's a defensive midfielder, attacking midfielder, and then the connector between the two, the eight. And those are the three main roles that he's played. And in each one, I see the qualities that he brings to the positions, but also I see how him playing there, how that brings the ceiling down of what could be got from that position. The him as a winger, I think the way that he brings the ceiling down is obvious. He's not a great dribbler. He's his two footedness is funny because he's okay first time on either foot, but there's a little bit of an unwillingness to dribble to his right side as a right sided midfielder when when he's left footed. So you know the byline threat, which I always talk about, is almost restricted from that. As a ten. He has goal threat. He has good his his box arrival is is really well timed. He has a knack for scoring. He has a knack for getting there at the at the opportune time. But against low blocks and mid blocks, I, I don't think he has the cutting pass. I don't think he has the IQ to 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 pick apart defenses. And then when you talk about as an eight, I think that there's uh, restrictions in his game in terms of the early build up stuff, which you'll be ha- you'll be asked to do against teams that press high when you need that extra man to come in and relieve the press and uh, and play you know with 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 horizontal freedom i i see restrictions in his game in each of those areas and, and not to labor the point but i i think when we talk about the potential eights that will play for us midfield wise i think horizontal freedom and and general freedom against a high opposition press is something that's really important because hybrid pressing is really kind of the in vogue thing in MLS. You know, that man press where you, you know, you generally adjudicate the midfield area. Giving freedom to one player, usually in eight, is something that is a is a is a beater of that. That's something that you can easily beat with. It, it's your main solution. So if you're granting that role to someone, they have to be on the ball with it. And that's probably the role that Ben Bender has in his mind that he is best at. But I don't think he has that exact quality from what I've seen so far to be able to be the first choice at that for a team that's very good. So Ben Bender, I'm a hold, like you say, so, hold for me. Yeah, and it, and it's a tough one. I mean, everyone knows I'm a big Ben Bender fan. I think he does things that that no one else on Charlotte FC can do. But I am going to leave him there. Let's talk about one that I think is going to be a relatively smooth through. And that's going to be Ashley Westwood. Uh, Ewan, what do you think about Ashley? 
Yeah, I mean, Ashley, again, is someone who throughout the season, we've talked about what's the best role. You know, is it is it playing deep in that six? Is it playing higher up as an eight? We've talked about what his best role is. But in terms of, is he a player who could be a main contributor for a team that's really good? I don't think there's much question about that. I think he's a buy. I think he's an obvious buy. If I may, I, I actually I actually have Ashley Westwood down as a hold. The reason I have Ashley Westwood down as a hold is because I think he's on, I don't know exactly what his contract is, but I think he's on for a little while. And I get the sneaking suspicion that Charlotte FC could monetize Ashley Westwood in a relatively good way. I think that he has enough years left potentially in his game, and I think he's the type of player where it would not surprise me if in a year or two, somebody says, hey, we really need someone of Ashley Westwood's caliber, someone of his mentality, somebody of his his way of running a midfield. And they said, oh, wait a minute, there's a guy like that named Ashley Westwood. And Charlotte went, sure, here's the bill. <laughs> and it feels weird to talk about someone not as a buy, not because of their their ability or what I think they could bring to the team, but because I think that there is a part of football that is financial. And I think that Ashley Westwood could potentially serve us really quite well by being with us for the time he has, and then potentially being uh, someone who, who goes on and is also a financial success for Charlotte FC. Thoughts on that one? Who just matters for this team. <laughs> If you're talking about it from a financial perspective or you're talking about it from, okay, Charlotte FC, we're going into our third year. Next year will be our fourth year. This is the part of the process, and I know head coaches have changed, but the people who are running the show, recruitment-wise, are all still there. And the team that they're putting together, the squad that they're putting together, this is when, you know, this is when the iron gets hot. And... You know, at that stage, okay, if you're moving off someone like Ashley Westwood for profit, I get it. It's a business. That's how football is. But, you know, what is that profit for a player of his age versus what could you be getting from him in terms of the value of just him playing for you? Yes, I've talked about for, you know, extended periods of time how I don't like him in that deeper role because I think it restricts some of his, some of the better areas of his game. Even if that is something which he is kind of restricted to, because of you know the fact that we seem obsessed with always signing ad- advanced players versus players who are better in build up as long as it fits a specific type of tactical setup you know I- i'm fine to swallow my pride and and have him perform that role as long as other things work around it okay i'm happy for ashley westwood to continue as the six if everything else works around it so i just the conversations we have around ashley westwood are very interesting they can go into certain areas and 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 they get really fun and tactical. Well, hopefully, fun for the uh, for the listener <laughs> when we when we get into those areas. I think those you know those are those are interesting things for me at least. Yeah, he's a buy for me. And yep. whether it be twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five, he's someone who I wouldn't be waiting too long to you know get back on the table and say, let's have a look at that contract and uh, and and try and get a couple extra years on that. I can definitely say if his contract is 2024, if it's the end of the next season, for me, that's a buy, hands down. Because I do think if I think you lock him down, whether your purpose is potentially preserving value 
or potentially just playing him until he is ready to retire from football. Uh, he's somebody who I look forward to seeing at Charlotte FC. Let's go ahead and we'll do the last one of the midfielders. Let's do Breck Diagata. I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to say bye. I am smashing the bye button like a frantic maniac. Bye, 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 Breck Diagata. And the reason is because he's transformative. Now, we could find that with a new coach, with a new setup, he does not unlock the team the way that he did in his cameos so far. We could find that other teams figure him out and manage to stop him from creating so much space and creating so much threat and dynamism in the the, the front of the field. But if you were to ask me who was the player who created the most threat and dynamism in the field at all last year, it's Breck Diagata, and he barely played. He he came in and had such a small amount of minutes compared to people who had so much more. And yet it was just night and day difference. And every now and then you find a player who pops in and you go, yep, that's night and day different. That is, that's just a different beast. And statistics and everything else aside, watching Breck Diagata play fills me with joy. And he is just, in my opinion, a different beast when he's in the right spot. I'd love to see whether that can continue at Charlotte FC. So for me, he's a buy. Ewan? Yeah, it it, it goes two ways with Diagra because I think you can go from the, you know, the perspective that you mentioned there that he's just so, he's just an easy player on the eye. He's just very, very nice to watch. He's just very tidy, everything like that. Very, you know, very, very lovely football player just aesthetically. But I also think he is, and I mentioned this earlier in terms of beating a press, I think he is our on our current roster in the current squad. He's the queen on the chessboard as far as it comes to beating an opposition press, which is something that we weren't so good at last season versus didn't try to be good at. We were happy to play over the press, just, you know, playing direct balls into the channels which sometimes works to our advantage, but also is exactly what the opposition wants you to do when they're pressing you. Brett Diagra is someone who is happy to play on the half turn, someone who is experienced enough and smart enough to be able to pick up the spaces against an opposition press where they know, you know, they're surrendering a little bit, they're pressing, knowing that, okay, we can't control every area of the field, we're going to have to surrender this, and... What he did when he was in Ligue 1, when he was playing in a role as a, as, a, as a pure eight, as a connector, he was very, very good at understanding, okay, if the press is directed in this area, let me occupy here, because if this makes its way across the back four, I'll be here ready for it in space, get it into the midfield, now we're away. I My thing with Brett Diagra, and listen, I, this is obviously me, t- me talking about him being a buy. He's a buy for me, 100%. But to almost extend the conversation a little bit, I think I, I, I'm I'm hoping that we know what we have in him. I'm hoping that we don't just see a player like him and think, oh, w- w- you know, what a footballer, tremendous playmaker. Get him up the field, get him in the 10, get him out wide, get him in creative areas. He could He could do well there, but I don't think you're getting the optimum use out of him if you're putting him into those high areas. Get him working deep, get him working in build-up. Get him working against teams that want to press high. 
because that would be the best use of him. Obviously, this relates to what head coach bring in, da, 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 our tactical setup. But he is a queen in the chessboard as far as MLS goes, because in MLS, there's a lot of teams who are very, very good at pressing, a lot of good coaches who are very good at coaching a press. And there aren't a lot of players who are able to play through a press in the way that Breck Diager is. He is almost our X factor. So let me move us along because I, I, he is a buy for you. He's a buy for myself as well. Mathematically, we have about 10 minutes left to tackle the coaches. And I don't think we're going to do, the, do it in 10 minutes, which means, as per usual, uh, we're giving you bonus content, <laughs> dear listener. We love giving you I'll bonus content. I'll try to keep it 10 minutes. I think I'll, I'll do a good no, enough no, job. No, no, no. <laughs> we, 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 can, we can have some fun with this. I do. I want to start out with... Uh, let's go with the big name, Frank Lampard. I think a lot of people are going to have heard of Frank Lampard. A lot of people will have uh, known about his time as a player. He's a bit of a Chelsea legend. Um, he's a bit of a coaching legend for different reasons. Ewan, you're going to know this guy a lot better than I do. But what I know of Frank Lampard is heavily biased. The media that I consumed of his time as a coach in the Premier League was heavily biased. Chelsea is hated by a lot of people. Chelsea is very divisive. Even teams that don't have anything against Chelsea inherently dislike Chelsea just because of the Ibramovich situation with their with the way they flooded money into football. He always seemed to me like somebody they brought in to sell jerseys. Not somebody they brought in to coach a team. <laughs> now, my counter-argument to that is I do understand he is a good arm around the shoulder guy. I've talked about that before, how in the MLS, that might be good enough. If you have really, really good contacts and you're really, really good at making your players want to play for you, maybe you don't have to be a tactical mastermind. Maybe you don't have to be one of the cutting, bleeding edge coaches. Maybe just being a likable dude with really, really good contacts to go out and buy the best players is enough. And if that is enough in the MLS, and I'm, I want to be very clear, if that is enough in the MLS, Frank Lampard is a guy who can achieve that. And so I struggle with where I sit on Frank Lampard. Ewan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned your bias on, on Frank Lampard being a, you know, an Arsenal-Chelsea thing. Mine is a Leeds-Chelsea thing. <laughs> it might not be much better. There's obviously that caveat I have to throw in there, but... Um... Just to take his coaching, and obviously the pl the player is the player, all time great. That's mm -hmm. that's why he's had the opportunities he's had, and that's why it brings a lot of you know excitement and and it's polarizing when his name is thrown in there. But just just to take his coaching career as the bare bones of what it is, people know about what he did at Chelsea. He came in there, you know, he he people think he did a fairly okay job. But the reality is what people thought he was doing is an okay job. He was then replaced with Thomas Tuchel, who's obviously a high standard manager. To which level you can obviously debate that. But he comes in and he takes a, a defensively shaky Chelsea team and he makes them the best defensive team in Europe and they win the Champions League. So he's replaced by someone like Tuchel and his team becomes immediately better. Okay, you can forgive that. We're talking about you know the Charlotte FC job here. We're not talking about him taking over. Bayern Munich or anything like that. He goes to Everton 
and he replaces Rafa Benitez, who you know is playing a, a mid block and is not quite getting a tune out of a fairly underwhelming squad. And uh, you know, eventually is sacked, and, and Frank Lampard replaces him halfway through the season. Frank Lampard gets a similar productivity out of that squad. They eventually stay up. You know, result in there. It's all very you know squeaky bum time. And then they go into the next season, and he's sacked around Christmas. Okay, he does a fairly underwhelming job at a club which a lot of managers have not succeeded at. Okay, fair enough. The one thing that I do want to mainly mention is that his his time at Derby County is being put up as his main seller, as his resume, as his like the good job that he's done in his career. And just to give context to that, because I see people saying, well, you know, he didn't do as well in the Premier League, but he was good at Derby County. The season before uh, he got to Derby County, they finished sixth in the championship. He takes over. They keep the bulk of that squad and they add to it Mason Mount and Fakayo Tomori as favours because he's got the Chelsea influence that you mentioned, Logan, in terms of contacts. And he adds those players, Premier League standard players, to that squad that just finished sixth in the season before. And they finished sixth again. And maybe it'll seem cynical for me to say that they got very lucky in the playoffs and eventually made the playoff final. And, and it seems like he was within touching distance of getting promotion with a team that's been trying to get it for so long. But I think if you strip it down to the parts, you're looking at a manager who not only has a taste odd and, and made it perform above you know, the, the, what, you know, the, he's never taken a squad and made it perform above what it can do and has very consistently taken a squad and let it gradually get a little bit worse and worse the longer he's been there and the longer his influence sets in. And I don't want to divulge too much into this because I do know people who know about Frank Lampard and I do know people who know information about his interview processes and things like that. This is someone who I think would be a very difficult personality to bring into an MLS environment because this is a very difficult personality. This is someone who I think, if things went wrong in MLS, would not batten down the hatches. I think this is someone who would start to point the fingers, feel that people were beneath him. And if you think things were tough with Miguel and Hill Ramirez when, you know, fit hit the sham, so to speak this is going to be something else. And to not be too strong a point, to not make too strong a point on this, I really, really hope that this doesn't happen. I really, really hope that what we've seen happen in MLS, where the attractive big name of a big, you know, a successful English footballer puts away all coaching merits and he gets the job. I think that would set back a club that has really tried to do the right things and work with good intent on the field. Yeah. I I mean, I can tell you I'm not a big fan of Frank Lampard. Uh, I am potentially a big fan of the people Frank, Frank Lampard knows, even if I'm not particularly a big fan of why he knows them. Uh, there's a lot of turnaround in there that ultimately says, I don't particularly want Frank Lampard. And if he is the guy... I'm going to hope it's because he's going to bring us a bunch of super talented young Chelsea players and then leave. Uh, on that on that note, let's go ahead and who should we talk about next? Ewan, who do you want to go into? 
probably Dean Smith because it seems like, and and this has been debunked, but it's come out tonight that there was a, a report that he had been offered the job, which has been shut down by the local reporters. But, you know, it, it, it's very likely that of the candidates that we've heard about, he's the, he's the top candidate, basically, in terms of his CV. So, yeah, let's let's talk Dean Smith. Um, he has managed Leicester City, which obviously has some connection to Charlotte FC because of Fuchs. Uh, he's managed Norwich. More importantly, if we wanted to give some context of how this guy manages and how he's done, he's managed both Aston Villa and Brentford. He didn't have an outstanding run with either Aston Villa or Brentford, but they are his longer, longer stints of coaching. And his numbers at both places are kind of meh. I would describe him as what I expect, a middling mid-table Premier League-ish level manager to be. And I just can't get excited about this guy, Ewan. I'll be honest with you. I just, I can't get excited. And that's not to say he's not, he couldn't be great. I have his preferred formation as a 4-2-3-1. You know, whether he's another guy who wants to completely give up the wings or whether he wants to spread those three, I don't know. But I can tell you, I see this guy and I, I don't go, yep, there's the future. So what are you thinking? <laughs> I was going to say, shall I try to get you excited about him? Because I think I, I, I think higher of him than, than probably you do based off that. Hey, I'm hit, hit <laughs> me with it. Hit, hit me and the fans with it. I was going to say, I, I, and I'll almost work backwards with this to start with, because when it comes to a new manager, you'll look more recently to start with. And his last two jobs, Leicester City and Norwich City, in a, around February, March period, uh, in April, in the case of Leicester, he was taking on Premier League jobs as kind of, you know, save our season types of jobs. Come in, firefighter situation, not really a process, not really a project, but come in and try and see what you can do. Try and get a tune out of the players. It was unsuccessful both times, both ended in relegation. And Leicester, he left immediately. Norwich, he stayed on in the championship for a little bit. Things didn't go the way that they were hoping, and, and he left. The main thing I want to focus on is those three jobs before that, which is Warsaw, Brentford, and Aston Villa, like you mentioned. Warsaw, he comes in originally as a caretaker manager, right at the sort of depths of the uh, English football pyramid. And he goes into a situation there where none of it is glamorous, but this is like an especially tough bootstrapped job. And not only is he able to get a performance out of the players, get a bit of consistency out of them, he's able to work on a shoestring budget to get results, but also in an attractive fashion. He's slowly building through a footballing philosophy that, you know, you think of a team battling at the bottom of the football divisions, you think set pieces, you think combative football, you think six foot two players battling across the pitch. And they had them but they were also playing some of the best football in the division. He was also one of the kind of early adapters of XG in the in the 2010s. He was bringing in data that now seems second nature to football, but back then would have been scoffed at. He mm-hmm. was, you know, he was advanced in those areas. So he stays at Walsall, does a good job there, and eventually earns himself a job at Brentford in sort of late 2015. We know Brentford now as the Premier League team they are. Very smart club, very smart recruiters. They used to be, 
you know, a, a very, you know, generally regarded as smart team in smaller circles in the second division, which is where they were when um, when he took over. Although he didn't get the, he doesn't really get the plaudits of of their success that they've gone on to have. He he was early in their setup as someone who was able to understand the not only the value of players for for small amounts of money from lower divisions, understanding how data could help with them, understanding how man management could help develop them, but he also was a main adapter in terms of playing a certain style that would progress them. Their ownership was combative with him in thinking that. Okay, Moneyball style, the best way to stay in this division and hopefully build further down the line is to play percentages, play long ball, be good at set pieces. And he was combative with them in terms of saying, no, the best way to play is out from the back to play expansive football because of things that we know now that, you know, playing out from the back, it gives you, you know, your higher higher field tilt. It's better for progressive chances. It creates better XG, like I mentioned. He he was a high proponent of that and almost kind of kickstarted a, a rethink in in the philosophy of that club. He was there for three four years and they've kicked on since he was there, but he's a major part of where they are now. Those tough years where they were really really working against financial constraints, he was a massive massive factor. But now they're a fairly established Premier League club, so he goes from that job. He leaves Brentford. They don't sack him. He leaves that job and goes to Aston Villa in October, of, uh, October, November time of 2018. And he takes over Aston Villa around the start of their season, changes the play style of that team completely, and he gets them promoted in the same season via the playoffs, completely turning around a team that started really badly. And they were fearing the worst at Aston Villa because they were under really tough financial constraints. And he set up a team that was able to perform really well, get out of the division, stay up by the barest of margins the next season, then consolidate the season after that. And then after that, their owners felt like they needed to kick on a little bit further. And fair enough to them. They went to Steven Gerrard. It didn't work out. They then went to Unai Emery and look at where they are now. They're trying to get in the Champions League. So fair play. Their ambitions were were founded. But this is a manager who understands player development, understands the modern tendencies of the game. He understands what works. And I think if you're Charlotte FC at this moment, that is a really, really strong CV. We don't have the time to do it, but he's got a really, really strong CV of direct player development, which is something that we've touched on that we know Charlotte FC is putting an emphasis on. Bringing in players of a certain age, developing them, selling them, recruiting from there. You know, I'm not going to be shaking the maracas or anything like that when he comes in and, and, and dancing from the hallways, but he would get a thumbs up from me. That's a good appointment. Well, I mean, a thumbs up from you is high praise. Ewan, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's saying something. You definitely, the the thing that you tell me is the shoestring budget that I don't know about some of his earlier days, creating a team of that image with that budget, which is a challenge Charlotte FC is currently undertaking, assuming we're going to follow kind of the same technical model we have been following. I can see how that fits the bill. I don't have anything against this guy. And I like what you've said. I think, you know what maybe would be a fun thing, Ewan, is if you and I would be willing to sit down and do a scouting on the coach sometime. Would you be willing to do that with me? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> that would be, be my pleasure. <laughs> maybe what we'll do, and 
you know, we're talking about some secret behind the scenes stuff. Maybe we'll do that for the fans. If you guys want to see that, maybe let us know. We'll see if we can put that out there for you guys. Let's talk uh, the last and final one, and that's uh, Freddy Juarez. I'm going to say this really quickly, Ewan. Not for me is the way I'm going to say this. I don't feel like there's anything wrong. He managed Real Salt Lake for a very short time. He got he stepped into the position at Real Salt Lake as a caretaker manager. He did pretty well. He came out of 12 games with a 1.58 win uh, per, points per match number. And he kept on two seasons-ish, season and a half, and really started to fall through the floor. He ended up kind of sitting in that consistently in the 1.1 to 1.2 points per match range, which is worse than where Charlotte FC were. He stepped down as a head coach and went on to be an assistant manager for Seattle. Seattle did okay in that time, but Seattle also didn't blow us away. I mean, they were good. Seattle has played well, and they've come out at roughly 1.6-ish points per match in the time that he was there. But I think a lot of that can be put down to Seattle's manager going out, uh, a man named Brian Schmetzer, going out and doing a very good job. I don't know how much of that is down to Freddie himself. So I can see a world where Freddie says, hey, I had a rough go of it to start with. I went out, I learned some new things, I'm ready to try again. I just think that's a tough sell to Charlotte FC fans to go with a guy who has already kind of, has already kind of hit struggle in the MLS once. I think I think you are asking fans to take a big leap. And if it doesn't go well, they're going to turn on him really quite quickly. You in thoughts on this guy? Yeah, I mean, I haven't talked too much in depth about the tactics of Lampard or, or, or Smith, and and I won't do it here either. Um, I think we'll probably, you know, save that for, like you mentioned, a, a, a future pod of, of prospective coaches. Or maybe it happens and we get a point to one in the next few days and we do it directly on the coach that we know we're going to have. But just to talk about the, you know, just sort of the outlay, you look at the record, you look at the the previous history, and you do look a little bit into the style um, of Freddy Yarez, and you think, if you were going to move on from Christian Latanzio, you know, why would you do it for him? Because it's very, it feels just feels very same same. Yeah, he he does feel very same same, but different, and he doesn't feel different enough for me to be uh, inspired about it. So uh, we will go ahead and start to wrap it up there. Charlotte FC may bring out some new news, but I am certain that this one has gone a little bit over uh, to you, dear listeners. As ever, if you have decided to spend your time with us, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope you enjoyed talking about the players and the coaches and where Charlotte FC could go from here. Uh, Ewan, I'm going to I'm gonna hype you up again, man. You know, whenever I need to talk about, about coaches, whenever I need to talk about tactics, whenever I need to talk about that in-depth stuff that it requires somebody who's sharp, who's on the ball, who's, who's really got it down, I always go to you and you always show up, man. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoy it very much and uh, enjoy it even more talking about it with you. So, uh, yeah, always a pleasure. Buckle up, everyone. We're getting into it. Uh, We will talk to you again next Wednesday, hopefully with a new coaching appointment, and we will be talking about some forwards. Goodbye.
queencitypodcastnetwork.com.